It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. The show is flying by. Can you believe I've been here since 6 a.m.? Actually, a little before. I think I arrived in the studio about 5.40. Had time to uh, feed the crew, do a little bit of show prep and all that. We've all had donuts. We're pretty happy this morning. Welcome to Green and Growing. I'm really glad you're here this Saturday morning. Next Saturday, just giving you a little bit of a heads up. This time next Saturday, we will be in the Georgia Bulldogs tailgate show already with a noon kickoff because it's Vanderbilt, Clint. You know, I know. It's not a huge game. Uh, but so pregame will begin next Saturday at 8 a.m. So I'm, I have a shortened show, but with you until 9 o'clock with Clint Waltz, friend of mine from the University of Georgia, turf grass specialist. And I, I never say doctor, but you are. You're Dr. Waltz. Yes, but that's that's <laughs> fine. Clint, Clint works very well. Oh, so man, I'm, I'd be throwing that around all the time if I was Dr. <laughs> Frasca. Although I do host a medical show here on Sundays sometime, okay. the weekly checkup. So. People think I'm a doctor, too. So they think I know lawn and garden and traffic and I'm a doctor. I'm going to let them think it. That's a new skill set I didn't know you had. (laughs) Ah, Not many people did. But uh, so here we are on a Saturday morning. We do have Georgia Bulldog football. It's great to be ranked number two in the country, hosting the South Carolina Gamecocks. All of the pregame begins for you right here on your home of the dogs at 3 o'clock, kickoff at 7 in Sanford Stadium. Fingers crossed the rain's going to hold off. You, my friend, are headed to Clemson. Who are they playing today? Georgia Tech. Oh, Okay. Oh, wow. That's no no comment. Whatever. <laughs> you all know what I'm thinking there. Anyways, okay. Back to calls 404-872-0750. Clint, some really great questions for you from our listeners. And she's been holding so patiently, calling from coming this morning. Good morning to Michelle. How are you doing? Really good. Thanks so much for the question today. How can we help you? Um, I have a Bermuda grass. Um, we had a lawn service for many years, and a couple of years ago, we had to step back from that and I have a small patch in my front yard about the size of a blanket on a bed that has this green grass growing up through it and it's gotten bigger this spring and I want to know the best way to tackle it should I like pull up each one by their own you know by the root or is there something I can do to get rid of it because I don't want it to be larger next year and I've never had to do the lawn before my own because like I said we had a service for many years so So I I don't know what I'm supposed to do this patch that you're asking about it's green or it's brown no it's green my grass is starting to go dormant and this is green blades of grass coming up like it's oh. a, another type of grass obviously but it's green and does you it know, stay it, green it throughout the winter yes okay um so uh if it stays green throughout the winter um i'd say you may have a little bit of of options here um the way you were describing it at first i was more concerned that you you have an off type uh, or another species it's there like zoysia grass and we see that sometimes zoysia grass will will be in a Bermuda grass area and it'll kind of take over uh, sometimes. Or even you have an off-type Bermuda grass. But if it's staying green throughout the winter, it probably is not, especially in coming, probably not zoysia grass or Bermuda. Um, unless it's another weed species, tall fescue maybe, or, or even maybe sometimes we'll see some fine fescues uh, persist in some of that. And I guess in coming, it's it's even an odd opportunity for or Kentucky bluegrass to maybe even mm-hmm. hang in. And if it's spreading, Kentucky bluegrass may be an answer on that one. Um, but if if it's still green in the wintertime and it's fully dormant, your Bermuda grass is fully dormant, so this would be sometime December or January, 
you can come out with a non-selective herbicide. So something contains glyphosate, for example, Roundup, and, and spray it and possibly kill it off then. Um, on it, but you need to make sure it's dormant. And the other thing you need to make sure is that you spray lightly over the top of it because if that Roundup gets down too deep in the canopy of that Bermuda grass, you won't kill the Bermuda grass, but you'll certainly delay its green up the following spring. So you just need to mist over the top of it, um, but the Bermuda grass needs to definitely be fully dormant. And this other grass species, it does need to be green because the Roundup will only act on, on green tissue. So wait till maybe December, Michelle, and then once that you know, glyphosate product has killed out that area of green, what does she need to start thinking in terms of to do in the spring to really get Bermuda to get a hold there? Well, then we go back into our proper cultural practices. So looking at proper mowing heights uh, for our Bermuda grass, um, uh, proper fertility, put some of those cultural practices on top of the Bermuda grass that favors the Bermuda grass and will be less favorable for that cool season grass on it. But one or two applications around up in December, January, February, um, should take care of that pretty well. So that's good news, Michelle. You don't have to get on your hands and knees and pick it out sprig by sprig. We like that. <laughs> you know, the downside can I, is... Can I ask, is there another option besides Roundup? I mean, is there something else that will work? I mean, I don't mind using the Roundup, but like, is there another option? So he said non-selective. Are there, there, there are other products on the market that there are... are couple of other products but they're not quite as effective as um okay. uh, on things you could look at something called glufosinate um finale is is the brand um it's generally more expensive and you're not going to find that at uh, your big box retail stores so as far as something okay. that you can get your hands on relatively easy and you know I, I know there's an awful lot of press out there and those kinds of things but as far as it goes with the glyphosate it's really environmentally benign and the science doesn't support many of the ambulance chaser claims that you see on tv and that kind of thing so um okay. know, be, be be respectful of all pesticides you know there's certainly no reason to, to to use them when you don't need to and and use proper uh ppe uh personal protection read and follow the label and uh if you do those kind of things you'll you'll be fine and safe Okay, thank you. Yeah, thanks, Michelle. Thanks so much for the call. And you started to say something else before she asked that second question. Oh, yeah. What I was going to say there, you know, if by chance it's, it's, it is something like zoysia grass that's, that's kind of gotten in there, it gets to be much more difficult to, to take that out. And then there might be a situation where next spring you would need to take that area, cut it out with a sod cutter, have oh, a boy. landscaper or your, yourself come in. And uh, it can be a whole lot more work at that point to, to try to take it out. But as far as it was non-selective, taking something out of Bermuda like that, it's another warm season grass it gets pretty difficult. I, I don't know that this is a cut and dry kind of kind of answer that you'll give me to this question, Clint, but a lot of times folks will encounter that when the front lawn is different than the back or your neighbor's grass, which is different from yours, starts to, you know, encroach on your property. Um, what is one to do generally when you've got two competing grass types? How do you pick which one wins out and you know what's the best practices to eliminate the one you don't want we we do have an adage change your management change your grass so each one of our grass species and you reference some of the the lawn care catalog, uh, calendars that, that walter has and i have similar ones on our website as well but uh, look at some of those multi, uh, those cultural practices and management practices and use the one that's that favors the grass species that you're after so for example if you have zoysia grass and bermuda grass together mm-hmm. Um, they're going to coexist. You're never going to get rid of one of them, but you can increase your fertility. Bermuda grass likes higher fertility, and you're going to skew it towards the Bermuda grass a little bit. Or if you want to select towards the zoysia grass, you reduce your fertility. The zoysia grass is going to do better with, say, one and a half to two pounds of nitrogen per thousand square foot per year. 
Um, and you'll see with time, the, the zoysia grass predominates. So change your management, change your grass uh, on some of that is, is one way of doing it. But uh, getting rid of a warm season in a warm season, yeah. it's, you're, you're eventually going to wind up. It's never going to be pure, but you can reduce it some. You're a little lucky to have, I guess the best case scenario would be Bermuda and fescue or fescue and Bermuda, because at least those are opposite season grasses, so it's a little easier to manage, right? You, you have some options there. That's right. And there's yeah. some selective herbicides that I could spray on Bermuda grass to take uh, take the tall fescue out. Yeah. All right. Great. Uh, up next, we go out to Douglas County. It's Susan calling from Lithia Springs. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? A problem with your fescue. Say it ain't so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm overrun with violets. I can't get them out of the yard, and I don't know what to do about it. Okay. Oh, and see, your feline friend doesn't know what to do about it either. So she, she's as disturbed as you are. <laughs> um, yeah, the 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 wild violets. Uh, there are some that are annual, but the ones that tend to be problems are the perennial ones. Yeah. And uh, the thing there is persistence. Uh, so you can take care of some of those uh, in tall fescue, but you're going to look at those three-way herbicide, things that contain 2,4-D, MCPA, and, and dicamba. Uh, so things like Weed Be Gone, um, Triplet, Three-Way, uh, Trimac, um, but you can find some of those at your local garden center. Uh, you can find some of those at your big box retail. They're fairly regular. But the key there is is repeat applications okay. on, on, those, on those violets. So if you spray them once and then don't do anything for – six weeks they're gonna come right back so you, you need that second application three to four weeks after and you may even need a third or fourth but persistence is gonna be the thing there spraying them when they're active you know actively growing and, and they're there but is there a specific time of day that's more favorable or not necessarily i wouldn't necessarily say so no okay. um if to protect the grass a little bit and it's not a problem right now but you wouldn't want to do that when air temperatures are much in the upper 80s or low 90s kind of thing so again right. that's not a problem this time of year but if you're going after a Wild violets in June, July, and August in yeah. tall fescue, you can you can ding your tall fescue up pretty good on high when temperatures are high. And I've I've got about thirty or forty five seconds here, Clint. When you say the the triplet, you know that was one of the ones you named, but kind of a three way product. What right. are you talking about? What's three? What's well, it's got three, three herbicides, three active okay. ingredients in it, and they're synergistic. So each one of them can work on broadleaf weeds, but when put all three together, they actually work better than if they were on their own. So the definition of of uh, being uh, synergistic. So many of our premixes have 2,4-D, MCPA, or MCPP, one of those two, and then dicamba. So we, we refer to those as our three-way herbicides because it has three different herbicides in it that work as, as synergism with each other as opposed to how they work individually. Okay, great. So Susan, start treating the violets next year as soon as you see them growing, like Clint said, maybe up to three applications, but follow the label directions on those and fingers crossed that's going to work for you. Thank you so much for the call. We've got more questions. Mike in Gainesville, Clover in the yard. Tom and Swanee, Bermuda grass question, and hopefully yours up next. 404-872-0750. You're listening to Green and Growing on WSB. It's Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on 95.5 WSB. The news, weather, and traffic team will be here first thing Monday morning to help you get back to work on time and informed. Now back to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca on 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's news and talk you're waking up to a little bit of a overcast sky today not going to see a lot of sunshine according to uh, our meteorologist christina edwards today 
partly to mostly cloudy with a scattered rain showers, a few storms possible. So if you're headed to Music Midtown, if you're headed to the Beer and Barbecue and Bourbon Festival like me at Atlantic Station, I'm going to bring a rain jacket. I'm going to wear tennis shoes. I'm going to bring an umbrella. And then more rain in the forecast to begin the work week. So we'll have more on that here in less than 10 minutes. I've got Clint Waltz in studio with me from the University of Georgia. We're talking everything turf and lawns. And up next with a great question about clover, it's Mike in Gainesville. Hey, Mike. Hey, how are you? Great. What do you want to ask Clint today? Well, I'm uh, I'm used to a clover that stands about a, maybe an inch, inch and a half taller than your regular grass. But I've planted some zoysia this past, this past year. And after fertilization, it looks like a lot of little clovers. It's more like a lime green seashell looking type clover. I'm not even sure if it's clover, but it's what it looks like. Okay. Um, how to compete with it. Does it flower? I, no, it does not. I haven't seen a flower yet, no. Well, there's a number of clovers out there. The, the more common one is white clover, um, uh, trifolium repens, um, on it. But there's another of other weeds out there, and Ashley and I are just kind of discussing some of those that look kind of like clover that aren't. There's there's a hop clover, and then that one is a clover. And then there's things like oxalis or wood sorrel, um, and it's more of an annual weed on it. Um, and then every now and then I've had folks um, misidentify um, uh, Lespedesia is clover as well, oh. and that's that's a summer uh, annual broadleaf weed. So, pr- first thing for you maybe is is good identification. Let's let's find out what you're looking at. You might want to take that to your county agent, or take a picture and, and email it to your county agent, uh, something along those lines. And uh, let's get it properly identified. Okay. Because last thing I'd want to do is recommend a herbicide on something like perennial, like a, a white clover. Uh, that you would need, whereas if it's an annual and it's a summer annual, it's about to die when we get a good frost. So you may not need to do anything before it disappears, or we may need to do something. So let's find out what we have first. And you know what I showed Clint, and he may have already known this, but uh, when you open the Google app on your smartphone, (laughs) Google Lens is a really good identifier. Of course, there's a lot of a number of um, plant identification apps out there as well. And Mike, you're welcome to send me the picture as well. Um, when you hop over on Facebook, search Green and Growing WSB, and you can share the picture with me. And I've got friends like Clint and others who, if I don't know, I can send the picture to them. We can get things identified for you and then give you the right advice. So I'm glad you called about that. Follow up on it a little bit. Hopefully, fingers crossed, it's an annual, and it may just die. If it's a summer annual, and let Frost get it here in a few weeks. Love it. All right. Thanks for the call. We've got Sam and Brazelton, Tom and Swanee, and Brittany coming up from Pike Nursery this Monday, officially the first day of fall. Y'all, we're four days away, so we're going to talk about pumpkins with Pike Nursery. Up next on Green and Growing, it's WSB. It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Just a little bit of time left for my rented space here on 95.5 WSB. And I already see Dave Baker lurking in the hallways, ready to come in with the Home Fix-It show beginning at 9. But you've still got me and Clint Waltz for half an hour started off the show this morning with Walter Reeves at 630. You'll have to listen back to the podcast if you missed that. But uh, I'm growing pumpkin vines again. Probably not going to get pumpkins 
again, but I'm going to try. And so Mickey Gasway from the West Cobb Pike Nursery piped in and took some great pictures of all the gourds and the pumpkins that are out at that Pike Nursery right now. And in fact, they're at all the Pike Nursery locations. So what a perfect time with us being four days away from fall to start thinking about pumpkins. And I've got Brittany Harper, the marketing manager from Pike here to tell you what's in stock. Hey, good morning, Brittany. Good morning. I saw Mickey's photos. They uh, they look really good. <laughs> I mean, other than like y'all's Christmas photos, you know, when all the Christmas trees are in the greenhouse, like this is my favorite. Like all of the fall displays and the mums and just all those colors are absolutely wonderful. Monday's the first day of fall. So, of course, it's time to put out the pumpkins. It's funny, Brittany, I was in my uh, Town Lake Pike Nursery a couple of weeks ago. And when I was checking out and talking to the cashier, I noticed they had a post-it note right there by the register that said, tell customers pumpkins are coming in in two weeks because people had started asking. So lo and behold, they're in, aren't they? They absolutely are. Yeah, they've landed at all of our stores and we've got a great selection and they are they're big and beautiful and colorful. So I'm really excited. I plan on going uh, later this afternoon and getting some some for myself. Ditto, for sure. I'm definitely going to have them out on the front doorstep. So we can go away from the classic orange pumpkin, you know, the ones that we carve for Halloween for jack-o'-lanterns and maybe the smaller ones that are good for pies. But tell us some of the names, the wild names of some of the other colored pumpkins. Yeah, those are, we, we call them heirloom pumpkins, just like you have, you, you know, heirloom tomatoes and stuff like that. And that's really, to me, where things get interesting in the pumpkin world. And they are just in a huge array of shapes and colors, and they just add a lot of texture and character to your displays, I think. They're, and they're just gorgeous. The first one that we, most people probably are familiar with is the Cinderella pumpkin. Mm-hmm. They call it that because it is the pumpkin from the Disney movie that you see before <laughs> it turns into her carriage. It's that sort of squat, flattish. It's that gorgeous sunset red color. It's really deeply lobed. The ridges just really stand out. And um, it's a French heirloom from around the 1880s, I think. And the original name before the Disney movie came out was called the Rouge Vif de Pont. So, um, wow, yeah, it's just good a really French. Beautiful, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> just a really beautiful pumpkin there. Um, another one that I personally love is the Jardale. It's um, it's kind of squat and it's got those deep lobes as well. And it's actually an Australian heirloom and it is uh, a pale silvery green color, it's just gorgeous green color. And that's edible so too, right? Oh yeah. They're, I mean, these are all edible. You oh. can absolutely, um, eat them just like you can your classic orange pumpkins or make some, some soup or some pies out of them. Uh, the Jardale, I think it lends itself more to, uh, more of a savory dish, um, and the Cinderella, I think you can uh, make pies out of it. So go for it, I say. <laughs> nice. All right. Now, when we're looking yeah. at some of the ones in the pictures that Mickey Gasaway passed mm-hmm. along to me, um, the ones with the bumps, like it makes you think of a, a witch, a Halloween witch. What are those? Yes, with the bumps on her nose. Those are warty pumpkins. Um, uh, another French heirloom pumpkin called the Galou de Zine. And they've just got those big, bumpy warts, lots of fibrous warts as well. Uh, some of them have that pale peachy color. And then there's others that are, are more gourd uh, with the, the green and, and the bumps as well. So, yeah, those are tons of fun. They really um, add an extra level to your spooky display if you're going for that for Halloween. And then one more that uh, my guest in studio, Clint Waltz, was saying maybe the Grateful Dead pumpkin. You've got a tie-dye pumpkin. Yes, the tie-dye pumpkin. So it's got like a creamy white 
under color and then it is just covered with this orangey red veining all over over it that kind of looks like bloodshot eyes oh. <laughs> so i guess it makes sense to, to <laughs> say it's a grateful dead pumpkin and again just a really great option for your spooky displays to give it a, a, a different look there and those are kind of uh, a little larger a little more of a, a large size oh and another fun one that i saw you, you could see in mickey's photos is the mellow yellow that's new for us this year and it, it's similar to the to the traditional carving pumpkins but it's bright yellow uh so it's got that smooth more round shape but bright yellow and the flesh man side is white oh cool all right so a lot of different types you don't have to stick with the traditional orange pumpkin um tips for care Brittany. so if we pick up one or we pick up many a lot of times folks will leave them on their front stoops until christmas you know they'll have the poinsettias and things out with the uh with the pumpkins so they'll stay around a long time but how do we make them last yeah, so the first thing is pretty obvious, but you don't want to pick them up by your stem, by the stems. So the stems are not that strong. You don't want to break them, and you don't want to drop your pumpkin while you're carrying it. So that's a pretty obvious um, first step. Don't do that. Pick them up by their bases at the bottom. And then when you are looking for your pumpkins, you want to, just like you're squeezing the produce at the, at the grocery store, you want to make sure that they're nice and firm, and then look for those blemishes or wounds or holes in there. That'll let you know that's an indication if, you know, some pests have gotten to it and that's not what you're looking for so nice and firm don't carry them by the stems and then when you get them home give them um, a wash with a bleach solution one part bleach 10 parts water this will kill any germs that are, that might be on the outside of the pumpkin and that's a really good idea to do for the ones that you plan to carve because once you carve a pumpkin if there's any you know mold or whatnot on there that's just going to accelerate the decay process yeah. so give them a wash and then make sure you dry them off really well, especially around the stems where water might pool um, in those little dips and ridges there. And then once you've got them outside to display, try to keep them dry if you can. Too much rain, which, you know, it's got, we've got it in the forecast. Um, too much rain can c- kind of hasten that rot process. So if you can put them on a covered porch or patio, that's probably the best solution. We know that's not always possible, but if you can, that's probably going to help them last longer. Um, and keep them shaded as well. That harsh afternoon sun, you know, it's starting to cool down for sure, but it still can get pretty warm in the direct sun in the afternoon. So if you can give them a little bit more shade or, you know, uh, at least shade in the afternoon, um, that'll be that'll be good. That hot sun can kind of help them turn to mush really, pretty quickly. All good tips to make these pumpkins last at least through Halloween, if not longer, into the Thanksgiving season. And Brittany, I want to touch on one more thing with you before we let you go. Pike is now hiring. Is it just seasonal employees that you're looking for or everybody? We do have a number of full-time positions open, um, especially among our uh, landscape design group. If you guys, uh, if anyone listening has landscape design experience, we are looking for a few a few folks there. And then with our growing facility, so you guys probably know, we, we I know we are very proud of it and talk about it a lot. We grow a lot of the, of the plants that you guys see at our stores. So our growing facilities, we have one um, in Marietta, behind the Marietta store off the 141 loop there. And then we have another facility up in Ringgold, Georgia, um, which is, if you guys know, it's on the way up to Chattanooga, about 20, 30 minutes outside of Chattanooga. And um, that's where we grow a lot of the things that you see in our stores, roses, succulents. A lot of the moms were growing this season, um, poinsettias at Christmas time. And they're looking for folks at both of those facilities in Marietta and Ringgold. So, um, and then, you know, there are other other 
uh, full-time positions as well. So go to our website, pecknursery.com, and you can see um, what we've got going on. So seasonal in the stores to help us through mm-hmm. Christmas as well as full-time opportunities as well. And 15 Atlanta area locations, so there's likely to be a Pike Nursery close to where you live. Brittany, thank you so much. Give us the website one more time. PikeNursery.com. I love it. Great work with the pumpkins today, girl. Good to have you on. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great Saturday. I can't wait. Pumpkins are so, so fun, so colorful. The Christmas trees, they're all green. They're exciting too, but just so much color right now in the nurseries. All right, Clint, we got a couple more callers I want to take care of this morning. Up next, we've got Tom and Swanee with a question about Bermuda lawn. Hey, Tom, good morning. Thanks for taking my call, Ashley. Yeah, yeah, I have a Bermuda lawn in the backyard that's very weak. It doesn't get enough sunlight. Um, But what I did, I had a bare area about 10 by 20 foot a few years ago, I planted some emerald zoysia, and it's done really well. And I've also planted a couple of patches of the zeon zoysia in the same areas, and that's also done well. And uh, I'm eventually thinking it's all going to fill in the whole yard because it is spreading into the Bermuda area where it's weak. Mm-hmm. But my question is, um, is, is the zeon zoysia a grass that will grow well in Florida, say like Tampa to maybe Fort Myers or, or Sarasota? Simple answer for that is yes. <laughs> it, it, it is. Um, and when things we've seen, a trend I'd say we've seen over the last 20 years is more zoysia grass has made it into Florida and the southeast. Um, you bring up emerald uh, for, for many years. Um, emerald dates back to the 1950s. And it was actually a joint release between the USDA and uh, University of Georgia back in the 1950s out of Tifton. Um, but uh, for many, many years, all we had when it comes to zoysia grass was emerald and mire. Uh, but uh, the newer grasses have come on, and many of those have, have really changed the marketplace in Florida and throughout the southeast. And zoysia grass is an emerging species, uh, has been for, like I said, about 20 years. Drought tolerant? Reasonably so okay. um, on it. If, if you look at the research, and, and I could wind up stuff that we've done at University of Georgia, things that uh, uh, colleagues done at Texas A&M and even in South Florida – uh, if you're just looking at it from a drought standpoint, Bermuda grass will outperform zoysia grasses on a day-to-day basis from, from drought standpoint. But uh, zoysia grass being a, a, having rhizomes and stolen, so below ground stems and above ground stems, will persist and come back after periodic drought. But uh, put them put them head to head. Bermuda grasses in general will outperform zoysia grasses uh, under extreme drought conditions. I mentioned drought, thinking Florida, but then again, realizing Florida has rain showers almost every day. They do. So. The, the thing <laughs> you have with Florida, you know, you get below Gainesville and Florida's pretty much a sandbox. But yeah. um, so yeah, there is just a lack of water holding capacity. But uh, yeah, zoysia grass should should do fine. And many of our zoysia grasses handle salty conditions and that kind of thing. And uh, some of those soils down there can be a little more um, alkaline. Mm-hmm. And most of our zoysia grasses, we recommend the pH, soil pH for those to be six to seven. So we actually up it a little bit there. So Zoysia, uh, zoysia grass in Florida should be fine. Good. Tom, thank you so much for the question. Time to take a break. When we come back, the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend. And Clint's got a good one for you. Hang tight. You're listening to WSB. It's Scott Slate. Did you know you can listen to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca on Saturday mornings on your smart speaker? And me too, weekday mornings. Just tell your smart speaker, play 95.5 WSB. And we're on 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's news and talk. Here's Ashley. 
Hovering around 71 degrees here in Midtown Atlanta, partly to mostly cloudy today. Of course, a chance of scattered thunderstorms throughout the afternoon, according to our WSB meteorologist Christina Edwards. Rain in the forecast for the beginning of the work week. The whole forecast sponsored by Finley Roofing. The rest comes up in 10 minutes. Now it's time to do this. Green, green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. Rush, 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 because I have a lot more I want to cover. Number one, you can certainly trim Japanese maples now. Clean out the dead limbs first and then cut duplicate branch systems that are maybe crowding one another or rubbing against one another. Number two, fire ants. You can treat those now. Fall is a fantastic time to apply baits. Just wait until a dry day. You can use something like Amdro or Ortho and Clinch. You've got a good number three. Number three was if you have a warm season grass like centipede, St. Augustine, and or zoysia grasses, is get a preventative fungicide application out, especially with the weather we've had and what we're likely to have this this fall, uh, continuing in the fall where it's going to be wet. So we like to protect our grass going into dormancy. So what uh, what are we looking for on the label? There's so many different types of fungicide, but there there are um, the one that if. if if you've got a lot of DIYers out there, there's there's one called Azoxystrobin, oh. A-Z-O-X-Y-S-T-R-O-B-I-N, I believe. And uh, don't ask me to do it again. If I got <laughs> it right the first time, I'll miss it the second. But Azoxystrobin um, would be the active ingredient. And every pesticide bag has to have that on there or has to have its active ingredient. So look for that one. But it starts with an A, um, Azoxystrobin. Um, and there are several of those as granular products. And sometimes you can find them as a liquid as well. Uh, but they give you about 28 days of control and, and wow. a fairly decent decent uh, spectrum of disease control. And it, and it does very good on the on the problem, the, the fungus that we're after, which is large patch or caused by the fungus rhizoctonia. And do we need to apply those before these grasses go dormant or? Yes. And uh, uh, on, on those uh, you, you would. And, and what we want to do there is prevent the fungus from from uh, infecting the grass this this fall, because if the grass is sick, going into dormancy it's not going to get any better over oh, winter wow. and then it's going to come out of dormancy sick and really? slow as well so yep uh so if we can protect it now it's just going to be in better health coming out uh next spring okay and clinton i started off our time together at seven o'clock in case you missed it i will have the rest of the show up for a podcast later on today i promise i'll get to that wsbradio.com click on on demand or spotify google play we started our time at seven o'clock talking about pre-emergence herbicides now's the time to do that we had people with questions about seeding for fescue not two things you want to do in conjunction with one another but certainly talked about some warm season grasses as well and what best practices are there so clint thank you so much for coming to the studio it's good to have you back in person after two years my pleasure as always uh, good to be here and happy to be working with you and what's a great website a great resource for our, us our university of georgia website is georgiaturf.com so www.georgiaturf.com spell out georgia Yes, not G-A. GeorgiaTurf.com. It's been a pleasure having my friend Clint Waltz here. Next Saturday, just a two-hour show because the Georgia Bulldogs but kick off today at Sanford Stadium against the South Carolina Gamecocks. That is at 7 o'clock. All the tailgate action begins at 3 p.m. here on your home of the dogs. Have a good Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.